Dave, you know how excited I get when we voyage into the world of Beatles adjacent. Yeah, you know, I, I think excited's a word also annoying. <laughs> well, today we're doing it again. Our guest uh, this week is Paul Saltzman. The Minutia Men Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. I'm Howard Sudbury. Good for you. Oh, and I'm Steve Baskerville. On uh, the next Back to You, we're going to talk about the holidays. We're going to talk about snoring on airplanes. We're going to find out what precipitation pie is. Persimmon. You just spoiled it. I mean, it is absolutely riveting. My goodness. That's on the next Back to You with... With a lot of luck. This is Steve Baskerville. <laughs> and I'm Howard Sudbury. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an Opie show. Only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? Thank you, Rick and Dave. I'm doing great. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, Paul is an acclaimed filmmaker from Canada. Um, but in 1968, when we're going to talk about some of the stuff that happens in his book and his movie, um, he was not a well-known filmmaker at that time. He was a complete unknown. And that year, he took planes, trains, automobiles, and boats to go to an ashram in India. He was seeking inner peace. He had no idea that he was going there at the exact same time as four lads from Liverpool. And there they were. Paul, can you give us just a the Reader's Digest version of how you ended up there in the first place? Um, yes, uh, it was uh, magical. It was magical. I'll explain what that means. But it came out of a heartbreak. So what happened, uh, the short version I'm hesitating because how do you tell the short version? Of it? <laughs> but um, I was in India working on a film. I was the sound engineer. And I got a letter from my beloved girlfriend in Toronto. And the first line was, Dear Paul, I've moved in with Henry. <laughs> and it, it is funny today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's time plus tragedy. And I think that... that's right. Tragedy plus time <laughs> right. hopefully, hopefully gives you hopefully gives you humor. Um, so I I was devastated, and in fact, you know, most people have had a heartbreak. It's very interesting because I've I've done a lot of reading about these kind of things. It turns out if you've never had a heartbreak, it is said in the world of psychology. If you've never had a heartbreak, you don't know true compassion. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that Mm -hmm. is. Because you can't feel for the other person because you've never had that feeling for yourself. At any rate, it was the worst of heartbreaks. I've had a bunch of them, like any human. It was the worst. I was shattered. Um, Somebody uh, I knew for three days in my life, his name was Al Bragg, and I've tried to find him. I thanked him at the time, but I would like to give him a more deep thank you for for what he said. He said to me, why don't you try meditation for the heartbreak? And I remember saying, I'll try anything. And he said, I'm going to hear the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi speak at New Delhi University tonight. Do you want to come? And I didn't know who that was, but I said yes, because I was desperate. And 
we went and we got lost on the way and so we got there just before the Maharishi spoke when the auditorium with about 400 people was packed there was no seat so we pressed up against the back wall literally and I only remember one thing the Maharishi said but and I say this in my movie it's what I needed to hear obviously and what he said was meditation takes you beneath and below your daily worries and concerns to a place of inner rejuvenation from which you come back renewed and refreshed I thought that's what I need (laughs) you know so it, in that way of magic, uh, I want to explain this, and I'll try and do it briefly. I found myself about 15 years ago using the word magic more and more in the kind of way I'm saying to you, in a context. And I knew what I meant, but I wondered what the dictionary said. So I went to the dictionary, and there was 25 definitions of magic in the big Oxford etymological dictionary. And as I start to read down, one, two, three, four, I start to realize, oh, number one is the most common use of magic. And as you get to number 25, it's the least common definition of the word. And I'm down around 23 or 24, I don't remember, it was right near the bottom, was exactly what I was looking for. And it said this, quote, magic, that which is real, but we as yet do not understand, close quote. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a, in the way of magic, um, I I didn't ask anybody there that night. So where do I learn meditation? Because they would have said, "Well, you come to the to the Maharishi's TM office in downtown Delhi." What I did do is I talked to people a bit, and I found out that the Maharishi had a retreat center, an ashram in Rishikesh. So two days later, I take a train to Rishikesh. I'm I'm kind of beside myself i'm in this state where where and this is really strange and i've only had this experience once in my life i not only was heartbroken but i could hear a screaming in my head in my own head i could hear a screaming and i was aware enough to know it was my agony and i thought if i let it out i'll drown in it now of course being older and wiser i now know if you let it out it's much it's much better than if yeah. you keep it in. Right? Well, I, I don't know. I'm German. Yeah, I was going to say but we we like we bury it yeah, deep right, right deep down there. Yeah, under lock and key. I understand. I completely get it. And uh, it is a very human trait that yeah. one. Uh, so um, so I don't make arrangements to learn there, and I just get on a train. No arrangements, and I I get on a train to Rishikesh. I don't realize in my, you know, distracted state, in a sense, I mean, I'm functioning fine, you know, the outside world, mm-hmm. nobody knows that you're going through what you're going through. And I, I watched the sign for Rishikesh pass the train window at about 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so I get out at the next station, I take a taxi back to Rishikesh, I ask the taxi driver, where's the Maharishi's ashram? He says... Most of the ashrams are on the other side of the river. Like, what do I know? There's lots right. of ashrams. But couldn't you just Rish- map quest it? <laughs> yeah, it nowadays, nowadays, you probably can. So he says most of the ashrams on the other side of the river. So he drops me near the Ganges River, which is wide and clean and green and flowing. And I go down to the edge of the river, and there's a boat, and I hire a boatman to take me across. I don't know, five rupees, ten rupees, and we get to the other side. 
And I say to them, boatman, do you know where the Maharishi's ashram was? And he points downstream and he says, Maharishi ashram that way. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the banks of the river. There's boulders and rocks and, and it's not difficult. And I don't know what I'm looking for. And at one moment in that way of magic, I look to my left and there's a small wood sign with hand-painted simply the word ashram, and the sign is pointing straight up the cliff <laughs> at the side <laughs> of the river. So I find, a, I find at the sign there's a little path, and I climb this cliff that must be about 150 feet high. Now, it's not climbing a cliff like it sounds, but you're walking up a cliff back and forth up to the top on a path, and I get to the top and I walk along a dirt road a little while and I come not far, a few hundred yards, and I get to a gate. And it's this incongruous white or yellowish picket fence gate to the ashram. And there's a guard standing there and I say, I say hello and so on. And he doesn't speak English, so he goes and calls someone to speak English. And a wonderful man who turned out to be my angel named Raghavendra comes down to the gate after 15 or 20 minutes and I say I've come to earn meditation and he says I'm sorry the ashram's closed because the Beatles and their wives are here and we're <laughs> teaching yeah and we're teaching a course for TM teachers so you know number one I was a fan I had their music had already changed my life and that happened when I heard Revolver for the first time. And one of the joys of making the film, meeting the Beatles in India, one of the joys for me as a person and as a filmmaker was I got to tell these stories and be able to illustrate them with graphic novel illustrations that, of course, there's no film of that moment. Mm -hmm. There's no photographs of that moment. So I could recreate the moments with graphic novel illustration, which works really well. Anyway, I say to him, I say to him, you have to teach me, <laughs> and I tell him why. And he says, I'll have to go ask the Maharishi. I won't be able to come back for two or three hours, but I'll send you a cup of chai. Very beautiful. So he goes away. A, a server comes down about half an hour later with a sort of incongruous white crockery British tea set type of thing. And I pour chai and add a bit of sugar and I sit down with my crocker, you know, my sort of teacup and saucer. And I wait. And two or three hours later, Raghavendra comes back and he says, I'm sorry. The Maharishi says, not at the present time. I remember every word. And I said, can I wait? And he was a little taken aback. And he said, oh, okay. And he pointed to a tent across the path under the trees. I mean, we're in a forest area, basically. <laughs> I mean, and, we say in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we, you're really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, in, in a way, because there's also the, t the village down below and the yeah. town of Rishikesh and so right. on. But yeah, it's, a, it's actually, the ashram's actually in a protected wildlife forest area. Um, so the Maharishi's ashram is on land that was leased to the Maharishi's organization by the state, the local state, um, uh, whatever. And so he points across the path and there's two old army tents, like, you know, not, not in tatters or anything, but they are obviously aged and they're on platforms like that sleep six or eight people. 
And he says the first one is used by the tailor from the town below who comes up every day and measures people and all those beautiful clothes that you see the Beatles wearing in my photographs were made to measure by the tailor sitting outside in his tent making clothes. And the other ash, the other tent, he said, was empty. I was welcome to use it and I had a sleeping bag. And he said to me, and we'll send you our simple vegetarian meal. So this man was an angel. <laughs> wow. This was an angel. And I, I waited, and as you probably know from the story, I waited for eight days. That's how long it took to get in. And <clears throat> and and I'll, I say, I, I the Beatles had already changed my life. I saw them live in Toronto in 64, where I live. And... And um, but it was honestly, guys, it was not good news. They were there. It was right. not good news at right. first because I was desperate. Yeah. Eight days a week, huh? Yeah, that's yeah. not funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. So so all right, you finally get in. You're inside. Uh, tell the story because uh, you know this is my, one of my favorite stories. Tell the story of. Walking in and having them ask you to sit down. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the way you tell it, it's like a high school lunch, you know, yeah, right? You, like a lunch room. You got the tray with the little white milks, you right, know. And the jocks are all at one table, right? Right, and, uh, right. You know. and you're like, oh, here, uh, it's an empty seat. Now tell the story. Yeah, tell the story about your high school lunch with the with the beetle. Yep, yep. Back to the word magic. Yeah. All magical. So, so what happens is that Raghavendra comes back on the eighth morning. Now, he had come to see me every day. And what was happening outside the gate, just to give you a bit of a picture, is that 20 or 25 or 30 press people from all over oh. the world, camera cameramen, sound women, sound men, photographers, men and women, reporters, they would come to the gate every day because the biggest, most famous people in the world, in a sense, yeah. what, are they, what are they doing there? And they would come every day for to interview them and to photograph them. Sorry, they're they're not going to do that. But the Maharishi came out once a day and gave a press conference so they could get their story and go away. And the next day, some of them and others would come. Uh, one of the funniest stories of that was that Marisa Berenson, the American actress who at that time was like the number one model on the planet, she arrives with her German boyfriend photographer with two suitcases of high fashion, Vogue has sent them to do a photo shoot with the Beatles in the ashram. So wow. you can't get in, you know, good idea, but go away. Yeah. Right? yeah. Bad execution. They, yeah. Yeah. And they, they hung around for a few hours and I can't remember how long. And then they went away and did something, whatever they did. So on the eighth morning, Raghavendra comes back and says, okay, it's time to come in. So I follow him to uh, what was a small meditation room, just white futons on the floor. And we sit and he teaches me meditation, which took three, four minutes because he simply gave me a mantra, told me how to use it, you know, which was, he said, you can close your eyes and just quietly say the mantra, which is a word or words. My mantra was a single Sanskrit sound. And the, the mantra acts like a, like a bell almost. It acts like a pathway to your own inner quiet, your own inner soul, really. And so you just say it, and when you, and it resonates. Like to me, it was like a musical note. So I would say it, and 
then it would rev reverberate within me. And then I, when I noticed it was gone, I would say it again. And that's what he taught me. So he said, okay, try it for a moment. So I'm, I'm trying it. And after a moment or two, he says, or probably it was a minute, he says, tell me what you're experiencing. So I said, well, my knees are hurting. I had never, ever sat cross-legged <laughs> in my life. <laughs> my back is killing yeah. me here. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I said, and I'm being a little distracted because a dog just barked outside the window. And he said, that's okay. When you get distracted, don't get hooked by it or you're out of the meditation. But when you notice that you're not doing your mantra, simply, gently go back to your mantra. So I said, great. At which point he said, you're now welcome to spend your days in the ashram and take your meals with us, his exact wording, but there's no extra beds, so you'll have to stay in the tent. And I said, no problem, thank you very much, and he left. So I did the meditation for 30 minutes, and and I knew when I was finished, because I just knew I was finished. And what had happened was that I transcended twice. So it's called transcendental meditation. And the transcending, as I understand it, is you transcend normal waking consciousness, like what we're doing right now. We're having this fun chat on the radio. And, you know, I, I've never met you guys, but this is great fun. And mm -hmm. thank you for talking to me. And but this transcends that to where you go to a place of inner rejuvenation, like the Maharishi said, from which you come back renewed and refreshed. And I open my eyes, and it's an absolute miracle. I know nothing about this stuff, guys. I'd never studied meditation. I had no interest. I didn't believe in God or anything. I was taught there was no God, no soul, no spirit, which I now realize. I discovered is not true. There is, there is a divine presence in the universe and there is soul and there is spirit. And I work with that every day, a little bit, not much, but I come out of the meditation and who knew I'm in a state of bliss. Literally, I'm in a state of bliss. The screaming in my head is gone. The broken heart is gone. I still loved Trisha and it took me a couple of years to finally let go of the dream of getting back with her but the agony was gone in one 30-minute meditation wow. a miracle wow. so i walk out of the uh, out of the room and and i'm in this state of bliss and george later told me when we were sitting alone he <laughs> said he said quote i get higher meditating than i ever did on drugs and i know exactly what he means because it had just happened to me you know and i had done my share of drugs of you know, mostly just smoking marijuana, which which in those days, as you know, was a lot gentler than today. Oh, my yeah, God. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so I'm walking along in the ashram and I'm just in the sun and I'm looking at the trees and there's a few monkeys. There's green parakeets in the trees. You can hear the Ganges River down below burbling along. And honest, guys. The Beatles are not in my mind at all. Really? At all. I'm walking along and I'm in this altered state of bliss and I'm just so relieved to not be in agony. And I look over to my right at one point as I'm walking around and the ashram's not big. I forget how many acres, but it wasn't big. Um, and I see John sitting at a table off by the edge of the, you know, more towards the, uh, the cliff at the edge of the ashram. And I recognize John Lennon, and he's probably about, oh, I don't know, 100, 150 feet away. 
and there's some trees in between. So I can't see who he's sitting with, except I can see the side of Paul's face uh, sitting opposite John. And I can see there's other people, but I don't know who they are. And honest to God, guys, what happened was in this altered state, I didn't think Beatles, didn't think it. I just found myself, as odd as it sounds, I'm curving towards them. Oh, I'm curving towards them, right? And as I'm walking towards them, I'm about halfway to them. And I'm still not thinking Beatles, oh my God, not at all. I'm just in the flow, as they say. I'm in the bliss. I'm in the moment. And I'm about halfway to them. And I notice, oh, my heart's beating a little faster. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're yelping like a, like a girl. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not caught in it right i'm I'm just observing this little bit of an increased heartbeat so i get to the end of the table because the way i'm walking i approach at the end of the table and they're sitting under a a covering arbor shading from the sun and it's a long table like i don't know maybe maybe 16 feet long and i get to the end of the table and there is john and george and paul and ringo and patty boyd and uh and um Jane Asher, mm-hmm. Paul's girlfriend, and Cynthia Lennon, and Maureen Starkey, and Mal Evans, their roadie, Donovan, the folk singer, Mia Farrow, the actress. <laughs> right, right. And, and Shecky and Green for some reason. I don't know what Shecky Green was doing there. <laughs> Jack Benny was there. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> well, the only other person was Mike Love of the Beach Boys, right? Yeah, jeez. So, so they're talking with each other, and I'm standing at the end of the table. I'm totally calm. I'm in this altered state, thank God, of, of bliss. And I don't want to interrupt, so I just stand there a moment, and they realize, obviously, someone's entered the circle. Oh, yeah. And after a few moments, not long, a few seconds, they stop talking and look at me, and John looks up at me, and I simply say to him, very calm, may I join you? John says, Sure, mate, pull up a chair. (laughs) Paul turns to me, because Paul's right next to me. Paul turns to me and says, come and sit here. And he pulls the chair over to the end of the table, and I sit down. Now, shall I continue? That was how (laughs) it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What happened next? (laughs) Okay, so I hope you got time, um, because I'm trying to keep this as tight as I can. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. What took me to India was I had already been working in film. Um, I'd already been a civil rights worker in Mississippi. I already had my own television show. I'd been a co-host of a youth public affairs show. My life was pretty blessed. But I wake up one morning in Montreal. I'm in my little rented room, and I'm working for the National Film Board of Canada. And I wake up in my room, and I'm shocked by the thought that there's parts of myself I don't like. I literally wake up and I have this thought, this realization. There's parts of myself I don't like. And I was shocked because I thought life was good. I thought I was fine, right? So, excuse me. So what happens in that moment? And again, it's magic. I don't, whatever you understand, it just is real. I, I swing my legs over the edge of the bed And I say out loud without thinking, this is really important. Our minds, our minds are wonderful computers. 
They're very poor guidance systems. Mm. Our hearts are wonderful guidance systems. They're very poor computers, <laughs> right? So, you know, uh, one of the most enlightened people I ever worked with in the sense of consciousness work said to me one day, uh, said to a group of us, excuse me, <clears throat> he said, if I had to sum up all my books and all my lectures into one sentence, I'd say it's all about integrating the head and the heart. Isn't oh. that beautiful? Yeah. Beautiful. So I say out loud without thinking, what do I do? And I hear my soul, which I don't believe in, speak to me for the first time in my life. It's an inner voice. It's not my voice. It's calm, loving, all loving. It's, it's Chucky loving. Green's voice, wasn't it? <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't know Chucky Green was alive. <clears throat> so, and it says these words. It says, hey, Paul, which I think it says, so make sure I'm listening. It says, hey, Paul, if you really want to look at yourself more clearly, you might want to get away from the environment you grew up in. That's what it said. And I said out loud, without thinking, this weird conversation, guys, I say out loud, where do I go? And my soul says, India. Now, I have no interest in India. I have no interest in meditation, mysticism. I know nothing about any of this stuff. Who could care? Did he, did the... So, I mean, that's why you were there. It, that's, that's why you were in India, because of this one moment? Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And the way I paid my way, because I didn't have enough money, you know, I drove a sports car, I dated, you know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money as a junior person at the film board. But I knew that a director was going to India to make a film. How did I know that? I don't know. Magic. Somebody had said it. And I go up to the director in the lunchroom and I say, I'd like to work on your film in India. Because I've been told, go to India, right? <laughs> By Shecky Green. <laughs> By Shecky Green. Yeah. And, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm not taking anyone there. I'm hiring a director of photography in London, and I'm hiring a local sound man, because they were all men in those days, right? I'm hiring a local sound man in Mumbai, Bombay at that time. And there's silence. And I learn in that moment, the power of silence. If you don't know what to say, say nothing. <laughs> so I don't know what to say. And after a moment of silence, this awkward silence, he says, do you know how to do sound? And lying through my teeth without a split second, I say, absolutely. He says, okay, if you get yourself to Bombay, I'll pay you the same as I was going to pay the Indian soundman. I say, how much is that? He says, $500. I put out my hand. We shake. We make a deal. I go to the phone. I call the airlines. And lo and behold, a return excursion ticket to Bombay is 550 bucks. So I have my airfare. So that's how I got there. Okay, so now I sit down. And the reason I told you that is because it's important for the next moment. So John says, pull up a chair. Paul says, sit here. And I sit down. And again, in the magic of what can happen when we're not in our head, when we just are in our being, in our heart, in our body, um, I sit down. And as soon as my bum hits the seat, honest to God, I hear this scream in my head. Eek, it's the Beatles. <laughs> no. Now, where did that come from? I never had said it in my life. When I saw the Beatles live in Toronto, 
this as you can remember i bet the screaming yeah, was right, so right. loud yeah. i couldn't i could i couldn't hear half the words right. they were singing because the kids we were they were all screaming and i've just got my hands cupped around my ears trying to hear the lyrics and i'm in the cheap seats with eighteen thousand people right so <clears throat> so i hear this scream in my head eek it's the beatles and as soon as that scream stops before i have a chance to think honest to god I hear my soul talk to me for the second time in my life. And it says, hey, Paul, they're just ordinary people <laughs> like you. Everyone farts and is afraid in the night. That's oh. what it said. Isn't wow. that something? Well, that, it really farts. is shaky green. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should we should invite we should invite Shecky Green to our next conversation. We should. We've got his number. Uh, okay. So what happens in that moment is that before I have a chance to think, this is really what's going on, guys. Before I have a chance to think, John turns to me, and in his wonderful, brilliant, teasing, wry digging wit with the with the british superiority to the yankees right yeah. you guys used you yeah. guys used sure. to be a colony right. like we right until he we kicked your ass in a war <laughs> <laughs> he's <laughs> canadian right. he's canadian <laughs> that's right so and by the way we won the war of 1812 right? uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point we, it was a bad referee call Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the line we, judge we, we lost the bigger economic war as you can see today but at any rate what happens is john turns to me and and he's playing with me it's beautiful he's teasing me he says so you're american then and he's not kidding he's yeah. putting me down a little bit yeah so you're american then and I say, no Canadian. And he turns to the rest of the group and he says, ah, he's from one of the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> now, <clears throat> now we're all laughing. And he turns back to me and he says, in that same digging, toying wit, he says, so you're still worshiping Her Highness then? Uh, and I funny. say, I say, no, not personally. And then Paul and Ringo start teasing me about having the queen on our money, which we still do, like they do, yeah. you know, like the like the ex-colony and member of the uh, Commonwealth. We still have the queen on our money. <clears throat> and they tease me about that. And I, in this altered state, as we're joking, you know, they're, they're not the Beatles. Eek, it's the Beatles, yeah. but that went away. And then my soul said, hey, Paul, they're just ordinary people like you. Everyone farts and is afraid uh -huh. in the night. So they're gone. The Beatles are gone. I spent a week sitting with them. And guys, I never literally thought the word Beatles in a whole week. It just didn't happen. So John, so John, they, Paul and Ringo are teasing me about having the queen on our money. And I say, hey, we may have the queen on our money, but she lives with you guys. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, and it just comes out, and we're all laughing. At which point I hear Cynthia Lennon, who's down near the end of the table. She says, come on, guys, leave the poor guy alone. He's just arrived, because she knows how they tease people, uh, right? Yeah. How they play. At which point, John turns back to the rest of the group, and he says, ah, you see, they still have a sense of humor in the colonies. Oh, Wow, what a and, what a badge of honor that is, huh? That, isn't it? Yeah. And and so they just took me into their group. 
they just literally did. I could have had autographs. I never thought of asking. I literally never thought, you know, you have a thought. I, oh, I'd like an autograph. No, sure. I shouldn't. Yeah. I never, I never had the thought. I never thought of asking for a picture with them. And they were taking pictures. And after a couple of days of noticing, they took pictures like a family outing. Like and yeah. they were family. They were family. And by the way, the four of them, you could feel they were brothers. And you could feel that while they were close with their partners, except you could feel that John and Cynthia were on different tracks. You could see it. You could feel it. Okay. But the other three couples were really tight couples. But yet you could still feel that there was an inner circle of the four boys and there was the next circle out of the wives and girlfriend. And then there was the next circle out of everyone else. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So I think just the, just the playing, just the altered state made all this magic possible. Uh, you know, and, and if you watch the film, you'll, I mean, you'll see that, uh, I mean, the one thing you talk about them taking photographs, you also took photo- photographs and the photographs, are a book now uh, they're in this film um, and it really does capture them uh, at this time and I think maybe the most interesting thing to me is they wrote so many songs while they were there they 40, wrote was it 40 yeah over 40 songs and you kind of watched them write these songs and play them didn't you well some some yeah. and and because I only spent a week with them I I actually came home to see if I could get back with Trisha to see if we could reconnect, uh, which didn't work. But I could have stayed at the ashram for all those weeks, you know, and I don't regret, you know, we um, excuse me, you know, in in the way of regretting things, you know, I, I kind of have an attitude to life ever since then that if you follow your heart, things really do work out. They may not seem like it in a certain moment. You know, we all have our heartbreaks we all have our tragedies we all have our traumas but if we stick to listening to the heart you know and using the brain we end up in the right place so you know if i'd stayed in india and sat with them for the next five weeks would that have been great yeah would i have been uh you know hit by a bus and died in india who knows right Right, so so i came home but yeah i i noticed them taking pictures of each other like a family outing. And after a few days, I asked each of them individually, and I did it just because I was relating to them as individuals. I said to each of them when I had a moment alone with each, I said, do you mind if I take pictures? And each of them said, oh, take as many as you like, because I'm now part of the group, right? Right. So what, what happened was, again, you know, I've had people when I'm interviewed say, did you know it was a historic time? No, I was just right. in the middle of this flow of this experience. So I, I had a camera. You know, they had their they all had their high end Nikons. I had my cheapest of the line Pentax, but it worked, which is good. Thank God. Right. Yeah. Thank God. And I had lots I had lots of film because I thought I was maybe going to go around the world. You know, I thought after India, maybe I'll keep traveling. So I had lots of film. And but I only took out my camera twice because I didn't think about it. And I only wow. took fifty. I only took fifty-four colored slides, of which uh, I took seventy-two colored slides, of which fifty-four of them have anyone famous—Donovan or Mal or or. Uh, That's a pretty good wise. ratio. Fifty-four for seventy-two <laughs> right, exactly. is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I um, and then I came home when I was leaving. By the way, 
it was very dear. I went back to the table by the cliff. I had packed up. Um, Ringo was leaving the same day. Mal Evans called two taxis. There was a road to get to the ashram if you came around the mountains the long way. You know, walking down the river and climbing the cliff was the short way. <laughs> right, exactly. But there was a, a road. And so <clears throat> Mal was sent to call two taxis. And as I'm saying goodbye, um, I say goodbye. And it's all very warm because we were just buddies. Yeah. The whole the whole 12 of them, all 12 of them were very dear with me. They just, I was part of the group, you know, I just, and you know why, guys, if you think about it, the fan showed up. Eek, it's the Beatles. Right. And then, and then the fan went away yeah. and they were just, yeah, they, they were, were just, yeah, people. they were just happy to be <clears throat> with somebody that didn't think of them as who they were. Right. Yeah. I never asked for anything. Mm -hmm. Why? I didn't want anything. Why? Right. I didn't think about it. Why? Because I got exactly what I went there for. I got the meditation, right? Right. So I'm saying goodbye, and it's very warm, and I turn and start to walk away, and John says, hey, Paul, will you send us some of your pictures? So I turn back, and I go back to the table, and I say, sure. And Jane Asher, who's sitting there, says, here, take my home number. If you call Apple, you'll never get through to them. <laughs> wow. So about six months later, I have a job working on the first IMAX film. Oh. And and I'm traveling through London and I still don't have money. I'm still a kid working in the sort of, you know, assistant to the director type of jobs. I haven't yet made my first film. And I, I want to blow up a print of each of them to give them because John asked me if I would send them some of my pictures. So I go to the lab in Toronto and printing color pictures in those days of a poster size was like too much money. Right. I couldn't afford it. Right. So I said, can we print them in black and white? Guys, they looked fantastic in black and white. So I print my favorite portrait of each of them. I take them to London where I'm working for a few days. I call Jane on her home number. We meet for a cup of tea in Kensington for half an hour. She is a very dear person and a very bright person. She wouldn't talk to me for my first book or my second book or my film. It was like, go away. Wow. She doesn't want, she left that world behind, yeah. right? Okay. She left that world behind. So we meet for half an hour. We have a lovely chat. I give her the rolled up pictures. She says, I'll give them to them. And I think to myself about giving her my calling card. And honest to God, I have this thought. I think those guys don't need new friends. Their lives are crazy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even give her my calling card. And that was it. So... I presume she passed them on, but I need to tell you what happened next. Am, am I taking too much of your time? No, no. Go ahead. What happened next in this magic? And again, I want to say magic is available to everyone on the planet. And among all of our problems, if we can just stay in our hearts, the universe just gives us gifts. It really does. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so I'm, I'm in London, right? And I say goodbye to her and her taxi pulls away. And I call it and I wave a taxi down and I go to this address and I go to the address. I don't know what it is because a friend who was working at the film board, who was a production manager and I had stayed in touch. And when he knew I was coming to London, he said, hey, come and see me. Come to this address at this time on this day, same day. So I go to the address and it turns out to be uh, George Martin's Look, Listen Productions, a little building in Soho, if I remember right, I'm not sure. And I get out of the taxi and I walk in 
And my friend, his name is Bob Bayless, introduces me to two guys who turn out to be the editor and the assistant editor of a new movie. And I'm being then I'm with them. And the four of us are going to go into a screening room. We're going to screen this new movie. So we go down the hall. We go into this small screening room with about 10 seats. And we sit down. One of them, one of the, I forget, the editor, the assistant editor, puts up, pulls out a big fat joint. <laughs> <laughs> In the days that you rolled big fat right. joints. Yeah, sure, sure. And you passed them around, right? Right. Like, yeah. There yeah. was only one. You passed it around. You can't do that during COVID anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah. The pandemic has ruined that. <laughs> it's the, it is ruined. The lights go down. And what starts to play is the first release print of Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and you're stoned. <laughs> and I'm stoned. Are you kidding me? The Blue Meanies. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just thinking about watching that movie in particular, Stoned. <laughs> wow. Well, 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 don't don't forget that marijuana in those days was much gentler. Right. So the Blue Meanies, the Blue Meanies didn't scare anybody. Right. But okay. what happens is we get to the end of the movie. We've all smoked this joint, and we are all singing out loud. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so that was what I did afterwards. Hold that thought. We'll have to take a break. Minutia Men Celebrity Interview will be right back. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and my co-host, Luke Costable, each week for the Car Guys Report. Informed Automotive, the podcast where two regular car guys talk about, what else? Cars. We'll tell you about what we've seen on the roads, what's happening in the industry, and share some great stories about our experiences in the automotive world over the past several decades. We guarantee it'll be fun, informative, and entertaining. It's the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production, on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we're back. Your story is incredible, which is obviously why it's a book and it's a movie. Why don't you uh, let people know where they can find your books, where they can find the the film? Um, Thank you. That's a lovely question because I'm still a a struggling artist Mm -hmm. in the way... In the way independent filmmakers, you know, it's not not the way to get a pension, I'll tell you. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) It's not the road to rags and riches. Neither is podcasting, by the way. (laughs) I I hear you guys. Yeah, Yeah, you're not getting anything for this, by the way. Well, I'm getting joy. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Joy this morning. There you go. Which, as they say, is priceless. It is. Yes. Right. Can you tell my wife that? Uh, if she's listening it's priceless wife right yeah she doesn't listen I, <laughs> um, I should have said dear wife that sounded rather chauvinistic yeah. sorry okay. um so my website is simply thebeetlesinindia.com and if you go to my website the stories are there my photographs are there my books are there and there is a link to be able to watch the film, which is called "Meeting the Beatles in India." Okay. Well, it's been a it's been a pleasure oh my God, uh, talking been to you. I mean, you've got some stories, Paul. This has uh, been quite enjoyable. Thanks for joining us, and, and we wish you the very best. Yeah, this has been great, well, Paul. Thanks. And a lot. and no offense taken on that whole eighteen twelve thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. let me let me say something to part. Okay. I've learned in my life that gratitude. Really gratitude, not, oh, yeah, thanks, guys. No, no. Thank you very much to both of you. This has been a delight. You've made my day. You have. You've made my day. This has been so joyful, and I am grateful. And I learned in my life that gratitude is one of the cornerstones of reality creation. 
the life you want to create, it will be much, much, much richer if you have genuine gratitude for what you have. Oh, well, we are grateful for you to yes, come on. Yes, very much so. And I am to you guys. Thank you very much. Okay, much health to you, Paul. Yeah, oh, by the way, yeah. by the way, if you ever come to Toronto area, I'm buying you lunch. And if I come to Chicago, we'll meet for a cup of chai. Sounds that would, perfect. That would be fine. Because <laughs> you can't spell Chicago without chai. <laughs> <laughs> I've never noticed that. Well, there you go. That's a freebie. I, I literally, did you know that before this moment? You know who told him? Shecky, Shecky Green. Green. Yeah, Shecky Green told me. <laughs> no. uh, I'm not 100% sure I knew that beforehand. I, didn't think that, I think I was in the moment. It was I, a transcendental <laughs> moment. It was. <laughs> it was. That is amazing. Chai, absolutely. Uh, well, it's right there. Thanks, Paul. See you later, Paul. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla, Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we will be back again next week with another edition of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of Coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com.